0: So, uh, when Paul was mentioning uh, deep, you know, instantly, the, the verse that came to my mind and, uh, was uh, Psalm 42, verse 7. And it says that the deep calls unto the deep. Mm-hmm. And uh, God God has created us, uh, in, in a sense, with a big hole in us that only he can fill. And we can try and put all kinds of things in there. And so many of us are like and no different than the Apostle Peter. Not much ver- not much different than him. And uh, so Psalm 42, 7 says, The deep calls unto the deep. at The noise of your water spouts. All your waves and your bellows have gone over me. And I think... In one sense, we can look at that like Job said. <laughs> and Job said in, in Job 23, verse 16, he said, the Almighty troubles me. <laughs> and that can get pretty deep. <laughs> the Almighty troubles me, it's but it says, and he makes my heart soft. and Because there's a need in us and God, God is so patient with us, but there's a need in us that sooner or later, <laughs> hopefully, some of us it takes much later, <laughs> and some sooner, and we just can't meet it. It's a need that just can't be met by us. And so we don't live any longer in that false ex- expectation. And then it's a need that others we can't meet. We don't put false expectations on them. So Psalm 62, verse 5, says that, and the psalmist there is counseling himself, and he says, my soul, wait you upon God. (laughs) And of course, that's, I'm sure with all of us, that's our favorite thing to do when we, want God to do something, of course, we counsel Him that, you know, we know exactly when it should be (laughs) and when we want it to be. Mm -hmm. But in this process that that God has us, in this deep calling unto the deep, in other words, we have a deep need, and God has to continually reveal that to us, just how deep our need is, that is met by His deep, intimate love for us. Mm So the psalmist said in Psalm 62.5 my my soul you know you, you wait on God and that word wait is synonymous with the word trust so my soul you, you wait and you trust on God because the truth is from, from him comes my expectation and when we get to that place and we get to it in in different areas, at different times. Then we have Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times. You can trust in him at all times, and I think that's what the Paul was saying. I think that was. I think that's what Jeremiah was saying, you know. And I'm sure it was. It really true. It was. It's what he was saying, you know. That we're to trust in him at all times, and when we do we will pour out our hearts to Him. And the the safest place to pour our hearts out is to Him. Because He knows us better than anybody. He will never misunderstand us. (coughs) He will never judge us. And who is more kind and more loving than He is? And so we come to to uh, John uh, 21 and of course this is the scene and in between this when we study it when you see in in Matthew uh, uh, 26, uh, 56 it says they all forsook him (laughs) all of his disciples that he walked with for three and a half years they saw the miracles come on, just like you and I have we've seen God in our life take us through some incredible incredible things that we don't have any other way of saying how we got through them other than the fact that once we're through them, we turn back and we see oh my god he did I mean he took us through these things that only he could have taken us through mm-hmm. and uh, but it says that all forsook him mm-hmm. they all forsook him and then in in Matthew uh at 2658, it says, but Peter followed him afar off on a hill. And after we, at times when we fail, we feel like we failed him, or you know, we hurt him, or we failed him through doubt or worry, or just, you know, I'm sure no one in here has ever got angry at God. Ever. <laughs> or let him just let him know how angry you were. Because you know, I, I mean, I might have once or twice in my life, I might let them know just how upset and angry I was, you know. Uh, but Peter, Peter was, uh, and then in in, in Matthew uh, twenty six seventy five, it says Peter went out and wept bitterly, and the reason that he did was that in Luke twenty two sixty one, uh, as Jesus was being led away. He looked at Peter. And it was a look of no condemnation. It was a look of love. I love you. That's what the look was. And he doesn't change. He doesn't change. Job, Job said in Job uh, 36, verse 7, His eye is always on the righteous. Imagine. We have his son's perfect righteousness in us. And his eye he's always on us on our worst day when we're kicking we're screaming we're on our best day but when we're on a on the hill called Beautiful Fellowship or when we're in the valley and crying out he's with us and so that Peter with that look that really what it did really with Peter was it, it released him he had all this guilt and shame built up in him. And and, he, and Jesus looked at him and it says he went out and he wept bitterly. And I probably have done that a few times in my life too. <laughs> because you just see how he comes through and just really how much he loves you because the deep is calling unto the deep. And you remember what he said to Peter and Luke. Uh, 22, 31, 32. He, he said to him, Simon, Simon, and listen, you and I can put our name there so quickly. You know, add, add. Satan has begged of me for permission so that he may pit, put you in a sieve and violently shake you, shake your life to the core. But, but Jesus said, But I have prayed for you. Think about that. I mean, before. The temptation, before the shaking, before the pain, before any of that, he's praying for us. And the prayer that he prayed was not that Peter or not that you and I would not fail, that's not what he said, but that your faith may not fail. Your absolute dependence upon me might never fail. Because I I Jeremiah said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love, and and God is love. We've said before, love is not God. God is love. And God, love, never fails. Never fails. So Peter's backslidden. He's the ringleader. And then in John 21, it says, After these things... Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, doubting Thomas, of course, you know, son of Azitha, right? <laughs> and Nathaniel of Canaan Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, you know, those, those, those gentle, calm, Loving sons of thunder, <laughs> those sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. And Peter said unto them, get, "Look what he said. I go fishing. I'm going fishing. Why? Because Jesus had called him. These little fishermen. they were just little little guys, little nobodies, you know. Just like Mary, the mother, physical mother of Jesus, was a 14-year-old peasant girl, a little nobody." who appears to her why? because his eye is always on the righteous always he never removes his eye from the righteous and that's a beautiful thing because his eye, his view, his sight of us is Jesus Christ it's who we are in him even on our worst day (laughs) so Simon says I'm going to go fishing because Jesus called him and said, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Follow me," he said that in, in uh, Matthew 4:19 and Mark 1:17. He said, "Follow me, uh, Peter. You're a fisherman, and you're going fishing. You fish for men, not uh, for fish. But you follow me, and I'm going to give you. I, I want to use you to capture men for me." So Peter forsook him, like the others. He's backslidden. It's as far as he's concerned. It's over for him. Have we ever felt that way? You know, in our spiritual, it, it it seems like we make this confession. You know that Peter. You know, where he made that confession in John 13. You know, these these he's saying to the other disciples, these may forsake you, but I won't. <laughs> I'll never do that. <laughs> I'll never do that. But, but he did, obviously. And then, in his failure, he said, "I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going fishing. It's over for me. I'm going back to what I know." How many times have we thought, you know? I've gone. You've taken me this far, but this is too crazy. I'm going back. I've had enough. And really, what we're doing is, really, we're counseling God. And it's, you know, and I said, it's, it's nice once in a while when we, once in a blue, blue moon, we allow him to counsel us. <laughs> it really works good that way. And they said unto him, we also go with you. Because you know, Peter, you know, we're, we're, we're just as guilty as you are. You know. And they went forth and entered into a ship. And immediately, that very night, They caught nothing. And think of how many Christians, and think of what we do sometimes, too. We feel like we failed him. How many times have I failed him? Oh, my God, this is... I can't take it anymore, how much I failed him. So what do I do? I go out in the night. I go out in the night. And really, what do we get? (laughs) What do we get, you know? What do we get when we go away from them? And look what it says. They caught nothing. And Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that quickens. In other words, that gives life, that imparts life. Christ. The flesh, what? profits what? Nothing. And how many times we do? We, spend, we go out into the darkness of the night. And what do we have apart from Him? We have nothing. But look what it says. But when, not if, and this is good for us, because some of us, in the areas of our life, I know I am, that we're, we're struggling through some things. We are. It's like a night, you know. You know, it's like a night. In other words, you know. Do you remember what Jesus said in, in, in John 9:4? Work. For the night is coming, one man work no more. And in a sense, his physical absence, he's, he's away. And it's like a night. We're out there and it's a night. Where are you, God? It's dark. I'm alone. Where are you in areas of our life? Prayers, you know, struggles, weaknesses in our lives. But what we have is a promise because it says, but when the morning was now come. <laughs> Jesus stood on the shore and you know what he was doing? He was waiting there for them to come in. Because out there, they couldn't catch anything. Away from him, they couldn't catch anything. Away in their own thoughts of guilt and condemnation. And failure, and what they were doing was what a lot of Christians do they make their failures become their identity. (laughs) But Jesus is standing on the shore, and that's what he's doing. He's standing on the shore and he's waiting for them to come in because he knows out there there's nothing. And who's on the shore waiting for them? You know, Peter. Peter was bragging about what he was going to do for Jesus, right? And Jesus said to him, listen, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. (laughs) Of course, and that's the only amount of times I've ever denied him. Just just those three. I wonder how many zeros he can put after that. (laughs) But he stands on the shore... He stands on the shore, and this is what he said, really, and it's really beautiful the way that he says it, <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch anything, and he said, children, the first thing he said to them, yeah, children, have you any meat, and there they have, you know, They haven't even come to the shore yet, to where he is. And he says, like he says to us, what have you caught out there? Have you found anything out there that will satisfy you? And what do they answer back? Finally, he brings us to this place. No. That's what they say. No. No. And this is what he said to them. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you will find. And I'll tell you what this is saying. Because where is Jesus seated right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, that speaks of incredible intimacy. That's what it speaks of. It speaks of a relationship that nothing can come between. Nothing. Nothing. It speaks of a place where love has dealt with everything. That where love has removed every single barrier. You know, in Song of Solomon 8, verse 7, many waters. And God's proving this to us. He's saying to us, many waters cannot quench love. He's proven that to us individually. Many waters. Can't quench love. Remember what we said in Psalm forty two verse seven? The deep calls unto the deep at the noise of your water spouts, all your waves and bellows have gone over me. All that trouble that Job said, all this trouble, why does God take the time? And he does, because he takes the time to use those troubles. To make our hearts soft. So finally we come in. We come in. And who is on the shore. Waiting for us. He said cast the net on the right side. Because that's where Jesus in Psalm 110 verse 1. And Acts 2.34 and 35. And countless other places in the word. Where he is seated. At the right hand of the Father. Representing who we are in him and who he is to us and our relationship with his relationship with his father do you remember what his first message was and who his first message was to it was to Mary and his first message was to her and she thought all her hopes were over she did she thought it was over for her and Jesus appeared to her but not until he said her name and boy when he speaks her name and he knows us when he speaks her and he spoke her name he said Mary and instantly she said Rabbani Master met, once again he comes in and he masters all our fear he, he masters all our doubt and he says listen I want you to go tell my disciples that I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Jesus stood on the shore and he said, cast your net on the right side. Therefore, of course, and they were, and they were not even able to draw in the multitude of those fishes. You know, he just speaks a word to us we can be out all night struggling going through and I never like to say hell so I'll say H-E-double toothpick or he Devil hockey stick like someone told me because I don't like to say hell <laughs> oh. we could be going through that and in one word one word we pull in a multitude He's got a multitude for us that he has for us. And therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. <laughs> now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, the one who failed him, the one who was riddled with guilt and condemnation, the one who was identifying himself after his failures and not after what Jesus had accomplished for him and his love for him. He threw himself into the sea and he outraced the other one to him. And you know, the message that he said to Peter was, of course, and we know in John 21, 15 to 17, all he could say to Peter, and this is what he says to us. He's saying this. He said, Peter, and we can put our name there. Do you love me more than these? Remember what Peter said? I, these may forsake you, but I won't. <laughs> All these other disciples. So he said it. and he, How many times did he say it to Peter? Three times. Because you remember what Jesus said to him? Before you hear the clock of the crow, you will deny me. How many times? Three times. In each step of that hurt and that pain and failure, you're going to feel from doing that. I'm going to be on the shore waiting for you, and when you come in, I only have one thing I want you to know. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Okay, phileo, yeah, affectionate, feed my lambs. In the midst of his failure. Mm -hmm. And he didn't tell him those things when he was making his bold predictions. He told him when he utterly failed and came to the end of himself. He was out all night. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes us a long time to come in. Mm-hmm. That's us a long time. To not know ourselves after our failure, mm-hmm. but to know ourselves after who he's made us to be. And then to know ourselves the way he knows us, and then to know one another now. He said to him, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired. Beg my permission that he may take you and put you in a sieve and violently shake your life. He said, but I have prayed for you. Before we fail, he's praying for us because he knows when it's going to happen. But he doesn't know us after that failure. He only knows us after his love, his deep love for us. And he created us in a way and such an intimate and beautiful design that only we, in that particular design that he made us, can reveal him that way. It's incredible. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. You you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Third time, Peter. Do you love me more than these? And then finally, you know what Peter says? And, and the Greek really brings it out. Really, he was saying... You know, boy, that I don't love you the way that I should. You know I don't. I want to, but you know that I don't. Yeah, you know I don't. And he said, then you feed my sheep. Because he had to wait. <laughs> He'd come to the end of himself. And in Isaiah 30, verse 18, he is waiting to be gracious. That he may exalt mercy. Mm. And blessed are all they that wait for him. And finally in 1 John 4, verse 10. And I and I call Satan a certain word and, and I don't like to say bastard. So I usually <laughs> spell it out. So when that P A S T A R D mm. <laughs> accuses us. And we said this recently. When he, that so-and-so, in Revelation 12:9, when he can't deceive us, and when God gives us the truth and loves us right in the midst of failure, because failure doesn't change his love. Because the last time I checked, was are sin-abound. You know, grace did much more abound. And of course, we don't want to use grace to sin, but you know what the fact of the matter is? Is that's the answer. Grace is the answer to us. Can't be anything else. When he can't deceive us, like he deceives the whole world, what's he doing? Revelation 12. That he accuses the brethren. That's where a lot of that guilt, condemnation, poor stuff, it all comes from the accuser of who brethren. The reason he does that is that in Hebrews 2.11 it says this. Both he that sanctifies and that's the Greek word Hagios. It means he who makes holy. Oh, by the way, how did we get there? (laughs) Through everything who he was and what he accomplished. Both he who makes holy and them that are holy are all of one. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. And then verse 12 of Hebrews 2 says, And he, think, look at this, he is not ashamed mm-hmm. to call us brethren. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is there ever a moment that he is ever ashamed to call us his own? Ever. Never. No. Ever. Never. Lovingly discipline us to comfort us by the way and that's the only time he that's the only reason he disciplines us is to comfort us with his love and that's the truth because we're just not there to receive it because we're just too upset truly irritated too uh, you know angry or whatever but he waits on the shore And what does he do not even a word of repentance not even a word of repentance. Because the gifts and calling of God in Romans 11 verse 29 are without God changing his mind. And he never changes his mind of love about who we are in him and who he is in us. And Satan hates us. He hates us because the one that created him is one with us. <laughs> it's amazing, it really is. And we come to the end of ourselves. And we said, finally, in John 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's not teaching us that as we decrease each moment, he's going to keep increasing us in Christ. No, the moment we received Jesus Christ, we were given the whole increase. But we don't experience it, we don't function in it, until in each area we decrease. Until we finally... And it takes his voice to call us in, doesn't it? I mean, we've been out there all night. And we can put our name there. Hello, uh, hey, Ed. Have you anything out there? No. Hey, you know whose voice that is? No. That's the Lord. And who... Who outruns everybody? The one who made that bold statement. He outruns everybody, and then he meets him there. Mm -hmm. And then what does Peter do after that? What does God have Peter do? His first message is in Acts 2.41. 5,000 people come to Christ. Mm -hmm. Why? Because now it's not about Peter. It's about Christ in him. And then in Acts 4, verse 4, he preaches, he preaches a second message and 8,000 people come to Christ. Mm-hmm. You know why? He said, because Peter, when you are converted, in other words, when you know yourself and my love, and when you make my love the issue more than even your failures and your sins, then you, I will use you and my love for you. To impart that love to thousands. And you will. You. Me and you as a vessel. And you're the vessel. You'll convert the brethren. You'll convert them. And the 5,000, first message, 5, grace. It's the number for grace. Second one, 8,000. 8, the number for resurrection. (laughs) It's grace that raises us up into his presence every single time. So, just know this, and it comforts me, that he is waiting for us. Not an ounce of condemnation. Not a thought. And God doesn't attach our failures to us. And he doesn't know us after them because he attached them on Jesus. Jesus. He did once and for all, and He removed them as far as the east is from the west. We are only to know ourselves in God's sight of us, which is Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your your love and your faithfulness to us, and thank you in your faithfulness. And Psalm 102, verse 23, you always weaken our strength. The areas where we don't even realize it, where we think we can do without you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You weaken our strength. And thank you that you shorten our days in the way. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. And just bless us tonight, the remainder Mm -hmm. of the night. Just thank you for the beautiful fellowship. Thank you for each person here who is truthfully, and you really want us to know this, are a precious manifestation of the intimacy of your love. Not only for that one, but that they're a gift to us. From you in Jesus' name. Amen.